What up, what up, everybody? Your boy Hoya Rock, and we are back. It took a minute. I've been off for a quick second because I had to regroup, so I had to come back hard, and I had to come back Queens. <laughs> and not only that, I had to come back Queens. I had to come back OG, hardcore Queens, and I just wanted to connect the dots. Listen, everybody, welcome to the Smoking Word Podcast. I, if, I, if I had more room here, Marcos, I would stand up and give you a, a wave, standing ovation. But I want to tell me if I'm saying your last name right. Marco Siega. That's exactly right. Man. Listen, everybody. Bad trip and amongst everything. But I'm going to start with bad trip. Listen, welcome to the fucking Smoking Word Podcast. And on the real, you, you were on my mind years ago because... I oh I got this thing for everybody out there. This one is is a bugged out one for me because you're a, a part of, of my DNA, like it or not. Um, and, and uh, Marcos for everybody. Let's give a. I want to give a quick little quick recap so people could understand what's what, and we'll get into it. When I was a kid in the neighborhood, there was a studio, and in this neighborhood, it was you know Queens neighborhood in the most unlikely block to have a studio, there was a studio. When they told me, I, I hooked up with a couple of other like-minded hardcore kids from the neighborhood. They're like, yo, we have a band. We're going to go jam. I said, oh, there's a studio. They go, yeah, we're going to go to the studio. Boom. They go, yo, yeah, these, oh, you know, um, the guys from Bad Trip own it. I go, wow, this dude's from a band? They own a studio? Like, I, to me, it was so unheard of. Long story short, my first... Uh, encounter with a studio was your studio. Like, I never been in a studio before. Like, you know, everybody, oh, I got a band, I got a band. All right, so the fellas that used to hang out at the park, they were like, yo, we're going to go rehearse. Let's go jam. And I remember going to your studio for the first time ever. And I don't remember the name of it. Could you tell you, what was the name of the studio? Yeah, man, Bell Studio. Bell, mother, oh my God. But... Again, long intro, but Marcos, listen, we're going to go into it. And but besides that, that to me is one of the biggest things amongst the other things we're going to talk about. You got to do what I love is uh, when hardcore kids are uh, surpassed what people think what we're supposed to be doing. When they think a punk rock, a hardcore thing is a kid thing. When I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah, maybe uh, stage diving is it hurts now, but, you know, a mentality isn't. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand that. Like, Stigma taught me that. He goes, how could you, like, get, okay, you don't go to shows, but how could you give up a, a, a way of mind, a state of, a state of mind, a way of thinking, you know what I mean? Like, well, let me, let me back you up a second. Yes. I, first of all, this is huge for me because I listen to your podcast. You know, my, the my DNA is straight up Queens and New York hardcore taught me a lot of what I know now in terms of the hustle, getting out there, how I've done things. Oh, you know, yeah. I, I don't, when we, I mean, I don't remember when we first met. I know we ended up playing a lot, you know, shows with Demise. Yes, yes. Unisound but, with Gorilla Biscuits. Shout out to them too. Pennsylvania, also. Yep. right? But the, uh, 
the the idea that going back to a time in my life when um, I met all these guys in these hardcore bands and, you know, you say I own the studio. The, here's the thing. I had immigrant parents. Uh, me and my brother were walking down the street one day and we ran into this guy randomly in Jackson Heights and I had my guitar and he said, yo, you know, I have a studio on 80. 80- 9th street whatever i forget what it was right what street it was on and he was and i was like oh cool i'll come check it out and i'm in there and i'm talking to him and he said um you know i'm looking to retire to move to florida i'm gonna get rid of this place and i came up with the idea i'm like i'm in a band i know so many people in bands i'm like well what if what if you don't get rid of it what if i just run it for you and make it my place and i'll send you some money as long as I can cover the rent, I, you know, it was just one of those things and it just happened. And, um, I got hooked up with the craziest group of people back then, but you know, it's, it's what you just said. That was like pure, like I'm on, I didn't come from money. You know, I didn't have that. My dad owned a deli, a delicatessen in Jackson Heights that he got because, you know, he played soccer and, you know, he, he retired and, and owned a deli. But they were immigrant parents and we were, you know, middle class, just like everyone else that you knew growing up. Yep. So that was hustle. And I knew what I wanted to be from the jump. I wanted to be a director. Like early in my life, I'm like, I want to be a filmmaker. So you but knew I, that then already. You knew that I then. knew that then. I, I don't. The thing that a lot of people in the hardcore scene don't know is I used to film everything. Uh-huh. I just wasn't the kind of guy to go around and talk to people about it. Yeah. But I have tons. I've been digging stuff up recently and I have tons of great footage of you know gorilla biscuits uh all kinds of bands. i mean yeah the first hardcore band i got into was token entry when anthony Cominali was the singer before he did raw deal and killing time so i think this is like 1984 85 and i was everybody out there this is that og queens this is why i had to have you besides you being all that this is queens early dna that's a big part of new york hardcore history like queens is a big part of it, not just the Low East Side, Queens, like what you're just saying right now. It's like, yeah, exactly. yeah. I mean, think about the bands that came out of Jackson Heights, right? You got, uh, well, Token Entry was Astoria, Murphy's Law was Astoria, uh, Leeway, and then Flanagan, uh, Raw Deal, you Raw guys, Deal. Gorilla Biscuit House was right there, you know, like literally, like staples, like you know, from straight edge to the scumbags to the, the gorilla, the guys in Gorilla Biscuits, Walter and uh, Ant and Siv and everyone. I, I met those guys because the girl I was dating, well, first of all, I, I knew Barbara Ann Cominali. Shout out to Bubs, of course. <laughs> that, well, and, that's why I tell people there's a bigger connection than just the studio. Later on, like you know, our families hung out with each other, you know, and, and your cousin and everybody, like you know, we all grow and then. Again, we followed you from the distance and we kind of, we, we were in with the Hazen Street later on. We kind of were in similar worlds and then, you know, and here we go again. But um, yeah, again. but I, I still to this day, if you get in my car, my kids will tell you because, <laughs> you know, my son's starting to appreciate a little bit. He can hear it. But, you yeah. know, when you play hardcore for people who don't listen to hardcore, they don't want it. They, they don't, they're like, what the hell is this, dad? And you know, my girls are, you know, 14 and 12, as far away as you can be from what I love. But you get in my car and I have all kinds of Spotify lists of, you know, 
old school New York hardcore. Yeah. And the band, so I, it was Token Entry, and then it was, I, I had the thing, like, I really admired Anthony's bands. I just loved Raw Deal and then Killing Time. And and then it was, for me, it was when I got to start going to CBs, and I was like 15, and it was Agnostic Front. And, um, and then the early days of uh, Sick of It All, Rest in Pieces, like all these bands just, it's in my blood. To, even today, when I'm doing TV shows, I'm putting music in there. And sometimes it's like, you know, you, you're try, I'm always trying to shove it in. Yeah, like, yeah. How does it fit? What's the sequence? Can I get some of that in there? Yeah. Because it's something that's in me that I just love. Yeah, that, you know, first of all, it's that exactly, it's that hardcore, can, like, again, you can't get rid of that. That's from the grind of exactly, like, we have to make it happen. If we have an idea, the hardcore kid is going to make it happen. We're not just going to talk about it. That's why there was zines. That's why there was garage shows and pop-up house. You know, any anywhere where we could get together to to, ex, to to express ourselves the way we all want to. You know, if it was did you ever garage. To, did you ever come to any of the parties at those studios? Like we used to throw these. I heard about him. I used to hear because all the other guys did. So when I started coming, it was kind of like maybe near the end of it. But I remember like they were coming up with like it was bef before Demise, but early. the, the My first band, Um, it was right before we officially became because I had an instrument, but I didn't know how to play it yet. <laughs> I, these guys all had a band. So I was like, yeah, me and my boy, we jammed, you know, looking at each other in the bedroom. But they were going to the studio and I remember walking into the studio and I was like, you know, you had, it felt like, you know, in the seventies style, like with the mirrors or something. I remember it was like wood paneling maybe, but I remember being like, Whoa, shit, I'm in a fucking studio. Like these guys come to the studio to rehearse. I know again, first time ever in the studio. And then we ended up saying, yo, let's start a band. I jammed there once. It didn't really, nothing happened. You know, those guys, we, they would just jam, you know, just to get in there sometimes. And then um, fast forward, we started playing a little bit more. Um, I don't remember what happened exactly with Bell. What what what, what happened? Did it? How did that stop? We, we had to we had to shut down because they were opening up. You said at the beginning in the most unlikely block, right? I, Crazy block. Yeah. So the the storefront next door to us was opening up a restaurant, and it was all fine until their first day of business. And I think I had you know one of the hardcore bands in there. <laughs> And the motherfucker came running next door, like going, you got to stop the music. The tables are shaking. And I'm like, you've been setting up for three months. How did you not hear this? And, yeah. you know, they just didn't think. So it got to a point where they had put a lot of money into the restaurant and, you know, just life, man. It just we what was I going to do? Fight the guy? Yeah. You yeah. know, so we ended up uh, having to shut down. I thought for a minute about opening up somewhere else, but I was never going to get a deal like that. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, it got lucked out. That was yeah, good. and I and look, I, hardcore for me was uh, I was in Bad Trip and I loved it, and we toured and I, I made some lifelong friends. Um, a lot of the bands I admire now are still, you know, back then are still playing now. Uh, so that's all amazing, but I knew in my heart, I'm like, I want to be a filmmaker. Yeah. The problem was, as a kid from Queens, immigrant family, I didn't have any connections. I didn't know anybody. So I used to go around with a camcorder. And that's why I used to, like, I have all the bad trip shows and tours and bands that we would play with. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. But uh, that's how I started. And my first official music video didn't come until, like, 95. 
and, and before that, so when you were doing, all right, so how did you, so right, this is why, why I asked, because I know in the early stages, it ain't like now where you have a MacBook and you could automatically throw footage and it puts a movie together for you. You know what I mean? You started filming shows. Did you get, because I fucked around with it. And at one point I had my little fantasy where I, because I always liked angles and stuff. I like stuff. So I, I was filming a lot of stuff myself because I got into editing. Like I liked building, like song building. And I saw it like that style. So I used to make these little wild videos. But I, I, I saw how I transitioned, you know. Um, you, go, you went from filming shows. Now, how were you editing back then? So, uh, it, dude, this is the mentality, right? What I, I was in the same boat. I'm like, how do, what do I do next? And um, because I knew I couldn't go to film school and I dropped out of college and I'm just in a band and I'm touring, I'm gotta, I got a camcorder, I started thinking, all right, who's making music videos? Because that's something I really want. I love music. Yeah. I'm going to do that. Um, and... I, w I went to a friend of mine at a record label and they were like, oh, you know, there's production companies. And I just started knocking on doors. Make and remember, this is pre-cell phone, pre-internet. <clears throat> so I'm going door to door. And I met this dude who happened to be at a, at a production company, but he worked at an ad agency. And I said, look, I, I told him my whole story, my spiel. And I'm like, I'm a hard worker, you know. He was like, well, listen, I need somebody to work in my AV room at the ad agency that I work at. And I went into this spot and it was just wall to wall tapes of old commercials. And they had an, uh, a, an editing machine. It was and it was editing tapes. Right. And I was like, oh, my God, because when I saw that thing and he showed me like in five minutes, he was like, here's what you do. You put a tape in this machine, you put another one in this one. You mark you mark it here. You mark it there. You put it together and you can make you can make an edit. Yeah. And my mind like blew. And I was like, I can do that right here with stuff that I film. So I went to work at the ad agency and uh, I just started figuring it out, you know. And then when you're working around those folks, then you start to meet people. Yeah. And then I would meet a cinematographer. I would meet an editor. And uh, the, the key there is just like it's just like when you're you know, you I'd go to CB's and you meet someone. It's like, oh, you play guitar. You want to <clears> want to hang out? Uh, whatever that is, right? Yeah. It's just, you don't really know, but you meet like-minded people and you start doing it. That's and, it. And, and, and ain't it crazy that it, that was the thing, the way to do it. Like, you know, my early demos were printed from a friend's mother at her job. They had a Xerox machine. So, yo, runoff copies. Exactly. Or friends would exactly um, record on off hours when they would work at a studio or exactly like what, I think, what that, you did. I think that today, like the generation today is missing out on that. You know, I agree. Like, it, like there, it, things are easier today. And at the same time, it's harder because there's more of it. Right. Yeah. But the thing that we had in that New York hardcore scene was a real scene, right? There was a scene in New York. There was a scene in DC. There was a scene in, yeah. and now I think it's all homogenized because the internet puts it all together. Yeah. So it, it gets lost. I, I, we would be able to build something from the ground up. And when I would see the bands doing it, and I saw my career do it too, you kind of build it from the ground up, but you start pull, pulling favors. You know, when I did that Civ video, uh, Can't Wait One Minute That's More, nice. uh, and, and I just posted on my Instagram because I found a tape, and on the tape it says, The Making of Civ. 
and it's a, it's my camcorder just recording stuff. <laughs> but it's amazing because everybody, you know, you have sick of it all in it. You have Toby. I was there. I rolled up. I remember I had a good time that day. You know, I rolled up, and yeah. it's everybody in there. But it nobody was getting paid. Oh, Everyone's just coming to do a thing for the Great scene, but to support other bands. Um, that part of the scene I loved. You know, the part, Hoya, the part that was scary for me and intimidating and why I think I didn't <laughs> engage a lot is my first couple of times I went to CB's, I was yeah. terrified. Of course. You know, I'm a 15-year-old kid, uh, you know, who thinks he's like a punk. And I'm, what I'm really am is a poser who's figuring it out. Not right? a poser, it's just that some of us were just savages. Yeah. <laughs> but there would be like, you know, it's like the yeah, the crews back then, and they were intimidating. And, yes. you know, I would have to go to CBS and stand way in the back because... But you always like, go. Bad Trip was always good, Marco. Was yeah. No, good. no, but, but I'm talking about me, not even with the band, just no. going to No, for sure. It was scary. Yeah, for sure. It was de There was definitely... Uh, a danger element. Like now it's dangerous because it's, it's the music. They say it's loud and aggressive. Back then it was also the people that went and, you know, you, just the vibe. Yeah, it, it was same thing. That's what kind of either scared you away or brought you back or did yeah. both. It kept me, it definitely, I look, I stayed because I loved it. I loved the music and I, and I, and I was really attracted to the, um, and I don't mean this as purely male, but the brotherhood of the scene. Of course, I know, you know? what you mean. Yeah, for sure. uh, th that that really that really kind of drew me to it. But uh, I do remember, like you know, going along with the scene. Like I, I've always I've always wanted to be a filmmaker, and I've always dabbled in art. So there was a little time in my life when I was sixteen, I was going out and spray painting and like tagging up and. Uh, and one day I remember I put something up and somebody came into Delhi and was like, yo, uh, you, you, you wrote on so-and-so's. And I was like, what I do? You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I'm like, I put the, the spray paint away. I'm like, I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm okay. done. Yeah, Let I'm me done. ask you, did you do the artwork for the Bad Trip stuff? No, our uh, good friend Jordan Issop. Because um, you guys always had that art, that really artsy style. I remember the the, the bad trip stuff always had like yeah, no Jordan style, art, like he's a, he's actually a professor um, at oh my god I'm embarrassed at Pratt maybe now but he's a big he's an illustrator he's wow. big. his wife great. Melinda did all the artwork for uh, Quicksand wow like, oh yeah like exactly all, you can tell that. the the line style I know already from because I remember seeing that in. And and it was really original then. I mean, it still, but because I remember it was like, you know, everything was a punk rock. This, it, you, you know, you guys had uh, it was more style and the artwork, and then more artwork became stylish, like the quicksands and the other thing. You were able to throw a little bit more swag. You know, I yeah, think, I think that's the Queen stuff that comes out. Like, you know, obviously we brag because we're from Queens and all that, but there is something special about it that, you know, it's yeah, we weren't living in squats. But we were working class. We did mingle in that area and and got good relations with that area. But we also w had homes. We may we may have had um parents, good parents, or we might have had a house and no parents. You know, it, I was like, that's why we all were attracted to the same shit. It didn't matter. Like people people used to think like early days in Europe, like you had to come from New York City or from a squat. I'm like, no. Unfortunately, some people had that. I always said I had. Two loving mother and father. I'm lucky. But I also saw 99% of my friends didn't have that. Yeah. So we, I knew, <clears throat> I knew guys that had 
were financially rich and they didn't even know who their parents were. They used to call my mother, Ma, or my father, you know, because they had no, and I used to see the difference. You know, I, I got to learn a lot, you know, again, being from Queens in the middle class, being in the middle. Well, you, also, you were in Jackson Heights, right? Yeah, I was in Corona, uh, uh, Elmhurst. So, but Jackson yeah. Heights is where we always. Because my, you know, my cousin lived on 114th and yeah. Roosevelt. So he was in Corona. I was yeah. in Jackson Heights. And what I, the thing about those neighborhoods back then, and I'm, it gets the same now, uh, the diversity was incredible. And, and this is at a time when, you know, it's not talked about like now, but we had, I had Indian friends, Com Colombian, Dominican, Everything. Puerto Rican, and, you know, I'm Brazilian. Yeah. And I grew up in a household where my parents didn't speak English, but they welcomed people into the home, like family. So I always felt like Queens, I'm such a proud Queens guy. I talk about it back when I'm, you know, on set with people and uh, I meet yeah. somebody from Queens. You were, when you were interviewing Walter Schreifels, you guys talked about how, you know, you see somebody in a hardcore shirt and you immediately feel like you have a connection. Yeah. That happens to me all the time. <laughs> and I'm like going up to dudes. I'm like, oh my God, you know, burn. Oh my yeah. God. You know, you know, and it's immediate, like, yeah, I get hat because you know it's and more I like, like that with Queens too. Oh, me too. And like I said, like I love Slayer, but you know, you see a Slayer shirt, okay. When you see exactly a burn shirt, you see a you know a, a, a agnostic for certain shirts, you could connect. You could almost connect the dots to how they got into it, or you know somebody that I know, or you know, you it's just something real special that. And, I see it all over the world. And I it's funny, I did it recently. I talked about it once around here. I was getting something to eat. I went, a guy had an instead shirt. And I said, yo, cool shirt. I got to have you. I had to say something. And he goes, yeah, it's a band. I said, cool. And I just walked away like he didn't know. But I was like, I got happy. And I was like, yo, he's a hardcore kid. Like, you know, all right. You know, and yeah. I just, I got, I got happy. And um, w w obviously you grew up in Queens. You know, you grew up, you know, and especially in that area, Queens, you know, you had um, Raw Deal, you know, you had um, Gorilla Biscuits House was big. You know, they had we lived that was on my they lived on my street. I was, oh, so on that was your street. street. OK. Yeah. So uh, the house I grew up in with my mom, my dad was on 68th Street between Northern and 32nd. And they moved into an apartment up the block. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was crazy because like Toby was living there. He lived in like the closet. Yeah, I know. Uh, and, yeah. And, and he was dating he was dating my cousin. So <laughs> it was very much, you know, uh, we were all in the same like not just the same neighborhood, the same block. Yeah, I didn't know the block, but I remember the same area. That's amazing. Yeah. And that was a big thing, and everybody don't know the um, Gorilla Biscuits house. That was like, you know, again, you know, they had a uh, Shake House, Alleyway House, you know, yeah, AF crew, Crow Mask crew, and then you had, you know, Gorilla Biscuit House and our old park was 78th Street or Northern, and it was always it was it was something that we always wore as a badge, also of like yeah, Gorilla Biscuits House. That's right there, like you know we got one of the big dogs living, in, you know Queens in the house. We got Raw Deal down the block. We got you know Jack Flanagan is down there, rest in peace. We got this guy over here, you know. So it was hard, and we didn't even have to get to Astoria yet. We were just talking about our. I era. know. I know. You know, and then and you that's got a story. A, that's a, bike, a little bike ride away, and yeah. you know you got a whole other crew down there. Yeah, 
You know what? I never was though. I was never a hard uh, straight edge kid. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not from where where the, the 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 area of the the side of Queens we lived. It'd be very hard to grow up in that area. And you're Brasileiro. You had to get something in you. Well, I'm tell- like they were. There was a dude who worked for my dad in the deli. He was dealing coke. He was dealing <laughs> weed. Yeah. You know, it was it was a different. Like I would yes. have, I would see that world, and then I would like see like the straight edge guys, and I'm like. I can get down with all of this. I support you, but you know, it's a a different upbringing. Yeah. Back then it was more black and white in general. Like there was like no gray area. Now there's, you know, with, with vegan, there's that, which is all though. Back then it was like, you were either extreme that way or this way. And then you either cool with each other or not, you know, kind of thing. Cause we always knew there was always like, you know, a drug addict, somebody then there was a straight edge this and there was a krishna this guy you know i tell everybody they used to be characters you know um white power willie um krishna ken um you had punk rock pete you know it was always something you know Look, I mean, the name of my band was bad trip right yeah exactly there you go we had one one guy in the band who was straight edge our bass uh, player but it, less straight edge and more he just didn't do it yeah yeah exactly but, exactly yeah. And, and let me ask you this so you start what's you start filming. You're doing that. What you? What's like the first? You do you first get a job as an assistant because I know a lot of people want. You know they're getting into that, especially now. It's still big. You know, a lot of people are filming. You know, content is big. You know, I even deal with a lot of it doing my stuff. Like, oh wow, you get into it now that you got to film, and then you start. You know, it gets the you know the bug going, <clears throat> and I'm just looking at it on a broader thing, like trying to showcase you know, a show or whatever. I know people that are into the art of, you know, directing and putting something together or shooting. Like, um, yeah, how did you start? You Do you do an assistant job or no, are you just... It was... It, it, this is why I say that the, the, the hardcore ethic is in my DNA because I never... I hustled. I, you know, I always went out and pursued anything. So I was never an assistant, but no job was above me. Like if I, if I saw an opportunity to work and to, and to learn something, I did it. Like, I didn't care. Some people be like, why are you doing that? I'm like, because, you know, I feel like this is something I'm going to get. I'm going to get something out of that. Yeah. But it was, it really was, Walter came to me, Walter Schreifels and was like, I want to do, you know, I'm doing this band. <clears throat> Shout out to Quicksand. I love that band. Yeah, man. And, and, uh, and it's like, I want to do a music video. I don't remember the exact sequence of events. I smoke way too much weed to remember <laughs> anything, but, um, it was, it was just, he said he, we had lunch somewhere in the city and I was like, I have an idea. And I pitched this idea to him. And before you know it, we were out, you know, making the can't wait one minute more video. And what my goal was to get that video, to have that tape in my hand, and to walk into uh, record companies and say, I'm a music video director. That's it. That was my goal. I didn't have any other thing in my head. And and that's what I did. And we got, you know, I got lucky. I think Siv signed to Lava Records. They put the video out. Now I have a video on MTV and it's 1995. The the height of videos. Yeah. Well, it was was getting to height of videos. But, you know, we were like a buzz clip. And the, the amazing thing was they put directors' names on the screen. So it, it said, directed by Marco Siega. And so now I have this video. I'm walking into record companies, again, pre-email, pre-cell phones. So I had to go there. And before 9-11, when 
New York was a place where you could walk into an office building and wander down a hallway. Like I did that. I just wandered into record companies and I was yeah. like, who's the motherfucker who's in charge of doing music videos? Oh yeah, knocking and, on doors, lobbies. Yeah. People and, used to do that with demos, I remember. Exactly. And and I put this on people's desks. And out of that, um, I got, you know, I got some small videos for some small bands, um, but then I got an anthrax video. And, you know, Anthrax brought me to Corrosion of Conformity and then another Anthrax video. And I started doing rock videos, which at the time, music video directors, like the big videos were the hip hop videos that were starting to yeah. pop off. And I was kind of in this niche of I did videos for bands I liked and bands I would listen to, partly because I'm like, I, I know what it's like to be at a show. I know what it's like to feel that music. Yeah. And um, and if you look at my video discography, you know, because I've done 100 videos, they're all rock videos. With yep. the exception of like uh, I did a Jurassic 5 video and a couple of pop videos. But it's it's everything from, you know, I did Papa Roach's first record, System of a Down's first record, Blink-182. And, and those bands launched my career. Yeah, I was just because I was just going to get into that because I was like, we're going to start with just with the music. Because now it's time to brag. You ain't going to brag, but I'm going to brag for you because I brag about you. You don't even know it for years because I'm like, you know, that's Queens right there. You know, I used to jam in the studio. You know what I he does. It. You know, the, and we're going to get into it. Like, you know, all the shows you jock, all you people, my man worked on it, probably did it or whatever. But we're going to get into that. Before we get into that, and we're going to start with, let's just start with that. You did the Can We One Minute More Civ video like you just saw. But right now, so I had a, because I knew there was a lot. And throughout the years, we connected the dots with Hazen Street. And then I remember you were doing some of those type of bands. But I had a wiki you. And I said, 311, right? Alien Ant Farm, right? There's a lot more. I'm going to hit them with the 101's big name, All-American Rejects. Um, uh, Anthrax, like you said, Biff Naked. Um, the Blink-182, enough said. Tra uh, Tracy Bonham, Buck Cherry. Shout out to them. He worked on my Civ. Collective Soul, COC, The Crystal Method, Cypress Hill. That's cool. Um, you did uh, stuff, uh, Hillary Duff, I see at Disney. You know, because I know sometimes this wiki thing is shady, <clears throat> but I know you did a lot. Uh, yeah, I did. It's funny. It's like that That came out. It's, it's interesting because that kind of stuff, I did like three pop videos in my career. Uh -huh. But that one came out specifically because the person who was hiring, like looking for somebody, was was a fan of like rock yeah he's yeah, like i want to do something different for hillary you know Hell yeah um so i i got those opportunities from people who were like-minded you know oh yeah and again we're gonna go, go, go a little bit more i'm gonna brag a little bit more everclear goldfinger the huber stang that's around the hazen street time because i remember you kind of um <clears throat> i you know i didn't hear about you for a little bit and then boom I remember when Hazen Street, now we're doing the Hazen Street thing and they're talking about um, um, people doing videos. And then they were like, oh, Marco Sega and this guy and, and Smith and Boring. And I'm like, why is that name? Like, I kind of threw me off. I go, wait a minute. No. I go, wait a minute. That can't be Marco. They're like, that's why I go, oh, shit. And then I, I was like, yo, he's doing all these videos. I, that's when you were doing, it was around that. Again, I was so so new in that world you know because i was like major label and it was all those type of bands it was like the huber stanks and all that you did a kelly osborne 
uh, the POD. I remember that was going on the Papa Roach. Yeah, exactly. That was all that time. Paramore. Forget it. All right, quicksand. This is just the music videos. <clears throat> so let me just love it down because those got those, that is probably one of the biggest videos I did for Chop Suey. That video took off. So you did that one, right? Because you see, there was a lot of times I would see your name and I was like, yo, shit, he didn't. But I would forget. That was the biggest one, you would say, the Chop Suey? No, right? well, it's it's one It's one of the biggest ones. Everyone knows the song. Like, you hear that opening Huge. bit, right? Um, I've done a, I did a couple for them. I did Toxicity, um, the, the names of songs are going to yeah, be course. tough to remember. But uh, that that's a band for example, that I got a call from Columbia Records and they were like, yo, we have this band we want you to go check out. Uh, they're going to go to Burning Man and maybe you can go and document some of it. And at this time, I was already doing music videos, but they sent me an early, um, an advance of this record, that first System of a Down record. And man, it, the, the, it blew me away. So then I went to go see them. And I got to tell you, growing up, going to hardcore shows, you know what the energy yeah. is like, you know, like being in the pit of a packed CBs. Yeah. It's just, it's transformative, right? It's like, you just lose your mind. Yeah. And this was the first time that I experienced it again, like gotcha. post New York hardcore. I was at this system of a down show in a small club. I don't even know where, somewhere in Nevada. And it, I was like, oh my God, these are, this is a real deal. These yeah. guys, they they kind of emit the thing that I felt growing up. And when I had the idea for that video, I remember telling the guys, I'm like, I want to do something where you feel like you're there. Yeah. And, and that, you know, both that video and the uh, oh, Papa Roach, um, uh, what is that track called? Oh, my God. Cut uh, my life. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, so I remember the making yeah. of. I remember that's why I got to see You know, with, with all the kids around them, that came straight out of the idea of, like, what's it like to be there, right? Yeah. What's it like to be in, in and amongst that? But those, like, there's a couple of defining videos for me. Of course, Blink-182, What's My Age Again, all the small things, they were big <laughs> videos. But they were more like I had, a uh, you know, an idea that I thought was funny. Yeah, right? yeah. The the Papa Roach and the System of a Down and POD uh, and I did this corrosion of conformity video. If the song isn't very big, the video is not very big, right? Yeah, but, yeah. But those are some of my favorite videos because they're really who I am as as a person <clears throat> and sure. as a filmmaker. It was an opportunity to kind of take this thing that's inside me and try to put it on the screen, right? Yeah. Okay, so you you do the Civ video, all right? Now the video. You know, obviously, you know, obviously um, the budget was whatever the budget was because they wanted to make it happen. Right. So you got you got that. Now you're going around like what's the next video like a video where they go, OK, yo, you got a nice little budget. Yo, this is your big. You know, like, oh, this is a bit whatever the job was like, this is your first official big willy job and you got a nice little budget. You're like, oh, right. shit. you remember okay. you remember those days when you're in a band and you go to a club and you get paid a hundred bucks the first time and you're yeah. just, oh, my God, we got a hundred bucks. Right. Well, th that was a little bit like it was for me. The Civ video was, you know, under ten thousand dollars and it was revelation records and walter and and civ and i you know i kicked in by getting the equipment for free yeah because we we shot in a real studio with real cameras and real lights and that shit cost money the first time i think my anthrax video was only like 30 or forty thousand dollars and i say only but yep. that to me 
was like, oh my God, they're going to, ah, yeah. you know, and then, and then, then you start to get a little success and it's 70, right? And then 70 goes to a hundred. It becomes it. Yeah. I, the thing that held me back was that I never wanted to do the big, the hip hop. It just wasn't something, not that I don't like hip hop. It's just, yeah. I didn't know it as well. Right. Yeah. So that had the budget back then. And uh, my rock videos, I think I kind of peaked out at like 150,000 per mm. episode, wow. uh, per episode, per, per video. Yeah. And, um, and that was a lot of money for me. It was, it wasn't, that's not how much I made. That was how much the video was. Right. And, yeah. and then I would, I would grab from that, you know, whatever was left over, whatever I could. But as you know, when you're in a band, when you're doing anything freelance or an artist, you, sometimes you make a hundred bucks. Sometimes you make 5,000 bucks. Yep. And I, I think that's been, my whole career has been that way. Yeah. And I, and you learn to live with those, you know, Sometimes I'd say, I'll do that. And they're like, really? We don't have enough money. I'm like, that's not why I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's the thing with the, um, that is good that you, you, you say that because people don't understand. Now, you're talking about some of the biggest bands on the planet at the time. And these are the budgets at the time for them. And the smaller bands weren't seen. That was a problem with us at that time when everybody was getting videos. Look, at shout out to Drew Stone. I, we always shout out to Drew Stone because... At that time, you know, we're on Roadrunner. Now you need a video to compete. This is just a new thing happening. But again, videos then were $80,000, $60,000, Who Nobody was going to give us that. And I remember um, Roadrunner had put all their money into Typo Negative, and I think Sepultura dropped um, one, of the one of their Chaos AD videos. Where they spent, yeah. it was just ridiculous, 100 grand, it was a big talk or something. And us, like... You know, we're coming up to one of our records. You know, we're doing all right, but in our small little world, we're like, yo, we need a video. You yeah, what people I mean? don't understand is that you're paying for half of that. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Yeah, you pay exactly. And then, um, but it was so much money that people don't understand. You know, it wasn't given out. Like now, you know, thank God for technology. You know, I mean, it sucks for some guys, some, some of the film, the directors and stuff, but um, technology could let the person that didn't have access or budget make quality you know what i mean because it went from that from being you know a hundred thousand dollars to do a video to again like what you did is what drew stone did with us he piggybacked cameras from other shoots and said yo i got right now i got leftover a film and i got cameras till monday let's go yeah you know you gotta you gotta tell people though right because you just said it film Yes. You know, the 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 cost was you, you not only had to get film, which cost money and shoot the film, you had to develop the film yeah. and convert it to video that all that cost money that you don't have to spend today. Treating and that it's shit, not, yeah. and technology isn't bad for the directors. I think if anything, I love it when I see something that some small band has done and I'm like, it's super creative and they did it on their iPhone. Yeah, uh, that's inspiring to me today. It makes yeah. me want to go out there and try shit. Yeah, yeah. And so it's it, like, yeah, no, for sure. And it's like, you know, I see it on both sides. The same thing. Like, I remember having to record on tape like we did back in the day. You know, record now, bye, bye, bye. You could take the perfect take and now you get the perfect. It's so easy. Like, we were spending thousands of dollars on me trying to record one take, you know, of a song. <laughs> like, insanity. And you're doing these videos. Okay. And obviously, you know, I know um, 
you're, you're dipping into a TV stuff, right? But like, what's your first real, you know, I don't like saying real because, you know, real could be, you know what I mean? What, what I mean by real, like something pop or whether everybody might know of you, what's your first, uh, a taste of the, of the film of the, the big so, time in, in TV or whatever film or, or whatever. So I, I wanted to be, I was obviously, I wanted to be a filmmaker and doing music videos is, was a step in that direction. Yeah. But the next step is like, how do I get a movie made? And I was like, I, I'm not a cinephile by any, any means. Like I can't quote shit like people can, but um, it's the art that I love. And I pursued I consumed every bit that I could. And one of those bits happened in the late nineties when with the Sopranos, um, I'm, I'm watching this show and I'm like, man, this is like a movie every week. And then I thought maybe I'm pursuing the wrong thing. Maybe making a movie is too hard. But again, because I'm still a guy from Queens with no money and I'm hustling and I'm making, you know, some, I'm making money doing music videos, but not the kind of money that, yeah. anybody thinks you're making right yeah. and uh i saw that this dude paris barkley had come out of new york and he had done like the mama said knock you out video for ll cool j and he was directing some television so i reached out to him and again pure hustle just cold calling and uh, i'm like yo can i shadow Love you it. can i come check you out like when you're doing some some work and I just started doing that. And next thing you know, um, there was a uh, there's a guy. So when Siv released their second album, the first music video, was it their second? No, it was their first album. Uh, the second music video from their album. So I had done uh, Can't Wait One Minute More. I forget what the second single was. But that single, I just assumed I'm going to direct that video. Right? These are friends of mine. But now they're on a major label. And it's not about just friends, right? Yeah. The major label is going to have oh, a say. Yeah. And they hired this dude in LA, Mick G, to direct their he video. He was doing a bunch of videos at the time. Yeah. Well, no, actually, he had just done, he had only had one hit. He had a Sugar Ray video that he That's did. what it was. The, okay. Yeah. And he, and like me with Siv, he grew up with the Sugar Ray guys. And uh, he did their video. And that video was a big pop hit. And he's a good director. So they did the video with him. After the video came out, I, I tracked him down and I called him up. And I was like, you know, hey, my name's Marco. He was like, oh, you did that first Civ video. And I was like, yeah, man, you know, I just wanted to say I really like the second one. And I had some questions for him because I wanted to do what he was doing. We became, you know, friendly. And um, his career took off. He did some crazy big videos. And then he got the movie Charlie's Angels. And he directed the Charlie's Angels movie. And that made $100 million. And next thing you know, this guy, who was, who was just like me doing music videos, had a lot of power. Because when you make that kind of money for a studio, they start coming to you saying, what do you want to do? Right? Yeah. And he had an idea for a TV show called Fastlane and he had, and he got together with this writer, John McNamara. And uh, when I heard about this, I called him up and I was like, listen, we come from the same, we're kind of built the same. We come from the same background. If you get this opportunity to do this TV show, consider me to do an episode. 
I had never done television, but that phone call changed my life because he was like, yeah, man, he had never done a movie before Charlie's Angels. He had never done a TV show either. And we had both come out of the music video world. And he got this show and Fox picked it up and it was called Fastlane. It was uh, Tiffany Thiessen and Peter Facinelli and I forget who else, but it was, uh, you know, a cop show on Fox called Fastlane. And he called me up and, I, and they got 12 episodes and he gave me two of them. Crazy. You know what's and crazy? Right off the grip, I want everybody out there to hear this and it's good for... It's something that I always had a problem with, and it's something that you, you know you're tapping in, and at a perfect time, even for myself, you know, um, uh, 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 there's always that old term, you know, um, closed mouths don't get fed. You know, you 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 already pointed out a couple, uh, two, three points in your life that your career changed was because of you saying, you know what? Let me ask, let me be vocal, let me knock down, let me walk down this hallway, let me take it that next step, which I know working with music is what you got to do. If you want a chance, you got to take sure, that man. extra step always. And what you're hearing, you're hearing me tell you the successes. Yeah. I, I could sit here and rattle off the 150 times that I asked or knocked on a door or went to an office where nothing happened. Yeah. And when I say nothing happened, I don't even think that's true because I always figured out something like, you know, I, I saw somebody there. I met yeah, somebody. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you learned something. for sure. I didn't get the thing I wanted in those times. Those, those, what you call, you know, what I might look back and say, those were not successful, like, pursuits. But um, in hindsight, they all were. Yeah. And, and I'm just pointing out, like, the moments that I think really changed my, the, the trajectory of my career. Because I did those two episodes and and then now you're playing in the big leagues because they're actually making a TV show that's going to be on the air. I've never done it before. Somebody's taking a chance on me, not just McG, because he's the guy who's pushing. But Fox was taking a chance. It was a Warner Brothers show. They were taking a chance. So in my head, I was like, I got to go kill this thing. I, yeah. I have to I have to crush it. And I want to break it. something now. I want to break something now because that's how I think with everything, especially now. In life, it's that to the 10th power. It's like, with anything we create, why wouldn't you want to smash it? Yeah, <laughs> you know don't, I mean? do it, like, don't do it halfway. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And what, what, same thing with you is great to hear again. You know, you, you loved what you did. And so you already, because you worked at it so many years. You know, you, you didn't just come up with it and expect something. You already did it for the love of it. Now you said, okay, now I got to take care of this baby. How do I take care of this baby? Let me go out there. Now I got to get it fed. You, you, you know, you believed in it and, and you worked it. People sometimes think you got to go to, you know, school, which could help, or you need to come from a certain background or a certain line to be successful. And I know that ain't always the case, you know, and it's good to hear this where you basically raw, raw talent. You love something, you worked at it and you chopped away at it and you worked the hustle on top of the the skill in the fucking of actually because people don't know that's a, that's that skill of you know filming it's art you know it, it really is anything that you but create that, and that's the thing is like i always i don't have i don't i don't think i have like any kind of ego when it comes to me as a person but what i do believe is i believe i'm good at what i do Oh, yeah. And and I you have to have that swagger, that confidence 
if you're going to do anything oh, right, yeah. right? Oh, like yeah. if you're a designer or uh, especially in the creative world, because if you think about what we do, you as a musician, you put a song out, it's going to be criticized. Oh, yeah. When I make something, every episode of TV that I make that has my name on it, yeah. there's always some people out there who are like, I fucking hate that show. Of course. Of course. You know, I, to me, that is white noise I don't hear because yeah. I'm doing it because I, I love it and I know I know I'm good at it. And if if it's not, if it's not hitting a mark, what did I do wrong? <clears throat> How yeah. do I make it better? But, you know, so we're at the point now we're talking about my first TV show. That yeah. happens and it's not instant success. There's still a lot of hustling that has to happen because now, okay, now I have a SIV video. I have a Blink video. Now I have what? these things. But you have to maintain. You got to keep doing it. You got to keep proving, especially when you don't come from um, yeah. a privileged background yeah. where there's already a, a leg up, right? Yeah. You're constantly fighting. I can, I can tell you the three other times, definitive times in my career, just jumping in, in a timeline was uh, when I did my first pilot. You know what a pilot, yeah, you know what a pilot yep, is? Yes. And, and for anybody that doesn't, when oh. a, a pilot is that the first episode of a TV show that launches a series, Usually it used to be that pilots were done by like movie directors because you're world building, you're building the universe for the first time. Any TV show doesn't just have that aesthetic. Somebody has to come in and give it that aesthetic. Yeah. So the goal as a TV director was how do I get my first pilot? And it's an impossible club to break into. And I say impossible because if you, you could be the best TV director, but if you don't go out there and fight to get a pilot, you're never going to do one. Yeah. Because that's that there are people that do them. And my, my first pilot was for a show. Uh, and I remember I read the script for the first time. And it's called Vampire Diaries. And I read it and it was a love story. It wasn't dark. It wasn't. And I went into my meeting and uh, the, I had heard that everyone, because of Vampire Show and it was, you know, Twilight had come out. People are talking about like, oh, this should be like Twilight. It should be this. And I went in there and I, and I said to Kevin Williamson, who wrote it, I was like, this is a love story. And here's my idea of how I want it to be. I wanted to shoot it like a big romantic novel. And this is, you know, for me, it was a stretch. It was exercising a muscle that I wasn't used to. Wow, yeah. And he looked at me and he was like, you're the first person to come in here and not talk about vampires. And I said, because the story, the, the story is a love triangle. That's what I'm reading. And he yeah. was like, immediately, I, I, I knew I got the job because I saw something that was in the DNA of what he wanted it to be, right? He wrote this thing just because it's about vampires and, you know, you, but I hit the thing and I, I learned a huge lesson then. I'm like, it's the, it's, it's like the underlying what's behind what this is on the surface and uh, directing that pilot. That's a show that ran for eight seasons. Great. Yeah, that's great. That and, doesn't happen. Yeah. That's so hard for shows to stay and, on. And that, and that, that kind of changed my, my life because it suddenly put me on a map in a different way. But the, the show I'm most proud of is Dexter. Which and, is, by the way, and, you know, that's the one everybody would know. And if you don't know, you're an a-hole because I don't know what, what planet, solar system. You know, when I found out that, again, I, I, again, I root for you. So I got extra happy. How did that come up? That must have been 
and before it came up, how, yes. So when did you come come along? How did that thing come up? You know, come into your yeah. whole. That's that, but that's the crazy part, man. I, I was home, like a fan, watching Showtime, and I'm and and I see this show called Dexter, season one. And I watched the whole thing. I watched every episode that would come out on a Sunday, and I was hooked. And I, like around episode eight of twelve, I called my agent, and I was like, "Look, I don't know how to do this, but I have to meet." the guy who runs the show. I want to meet the guy. I see his name on every episode, Clyde Phillips. How do I meet him? And uh, they were like, look, crazy. you're not going to do an episode of Dexter because it's it. So this is around episode nine. He goes, it's a massive hit. It was just nominated for Golden Globes for Emmys. Uh, he goes, everybody in town wants to wow. do it. And I'm like, I get it. I'm that guy. I'm a fan. I fucking love the show. But you're my agent. All I'm asking you to do, I'm not asking you to give me the job. All I'm asking you to do is get me a meeting. I don't care if it's a two-minute meeting. I, and then I told him, I go, that is your one responsibility. And at the time, as a music video director who had success and I was directing TV, I didn't have a lot of power, but, you know, other agents would take me. Yeah, no, so, you, you did something. You weren't nobody. Right. You, so, you, you were somebody and obviously you got an agent and that's what, you know, exactly. You had a, you had you a flex. Like, like it, yeah. you, you know, you sign with a major label and everyone thinks, oh, you major label. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. it's, it's you not a flex. You still got a flex. You, you so. got a flex. So I'm flexing and I'm putting pressure on this dude. And uh, one week goes by, I watch another episode. Another week goes by. Now we get to the finale. The finale airs and I'm calling him. I'm like, they get, when are they going to start shooting another season? I, I need a meeting. And he was like, man, I can't. I'm really, I'm trying, I'm trying, but they're not taking meetings. Everybody in town wants to direct this thing. And uh, I was like, dude, um, don't give up. Just bot call them every day. Call them every day. And then I was fucking in my garden, literally in my backyard, watering my grass in LA. And uh, phone rings. It's my agent's like, can you get down to Sunset and Gower Studios? They, they, they have like a, a half hour window and I've been bothering them so much. They said, you can come down. They said, I don't know who's going to be in the room. I don't, I'm not sure if Clyde's going to be there or not, but can you do it? And I was like, fuck yeah. And at the time I didn't even have a car. I had a Vespa <laughs> and, and I got on my Vespa and I rolled down to sunset and Gower. Uh, yeah. And I, I go into this, uh, into this office. There's nobody there. They bring me in, they sit me down. So they'll be with you in a second. And then first, this dude, uh, Robert Lewis, comes in. He's a line producer. And if you don't know, the line producer is really the money guy. He's a guy that does the, you know, but he's but he's also really good. He's partners with the, the creative guy. Gotcha. And, and he's like, look, Clyde is here, you know, and he's going to make some time to see you. Uh, and before you know it, I had four people in the room who meant something. And they had no time, but they were like, okay, so uh, what do you got? Now, if I come out now and say what everybody's going to say which is i love the show i want to do an episode i'm just going to be like everybody else so, you know in my head the whole time that i'm sitting there i'm like how do i get them to you know how do i and and god damn you you're a fucking art director you got me suspense right now motherfucker. yeah but all all it was was I <laughs> but it's working it's yeah, but, working but right now thing, you know i kept thinking i wow. i read somewhere one time that people love to talk about themselves so when, when Clyde walked in the room, and remember, this is the motherfucker who I said to my agent, I want to meet with him. Yeah, 
So I had done my homework on him. I knew that he had written novels. Uh, I, and, and nobody talks about that. Right. Yeah, so he came sure. in and I said, Clyde, I just finished your last book. <laughs> oh, I got, there you go. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah, yeah there you go. You, you know, did I finish his last book? Yeah. yeah. You got it. it at, at Barnes and Noble real quick. <laughs> yeah. You know? It got you um, in the door. But we immediately started talking about the writing of the show. And it was less about, I love the show and I want to come do it. And we started talking about the writing because it's really, I was so impressed with the twists and the turns and the concept. And it was based on a book and I read the book and the book was different than the TV show. So I had questions. So I came in there and started asking questions about the writing and, and complimenting him, obviously. And I meant yeah. it yeah, uh, on, on what he did. And before you know it, an hour and a half right. goes by. And, the, you know, they had... When they got in there, they had like five minutes. Yeah. Great. And now it's an hour and a half and we're talking and we're talking about character and we're talking about uh, what I thought. And then he started to say, well, what did you think the show could use? Uh, and, and then I started talking about my, what I love and cinema and I would reference movies and say, this is what I felt. I literally great meeting. I leave. I go back to my, my home. I call my agent. I'm like, look, it went as good as I think it could go. And he goes, well, you got the job. Uh, before I even got home, he Clyde had called him and they booked me and they booked me for two episodes oh, of a show God. of a show that everybody wanted. Everybody wanted. And Crazy. total coincidence, the cinematographer of the show, the, the guy who, you know, gave it the look was a guy named Romeo Tyrone who went to St. John's University He's from Queens, from Long Island, then Queens. And um, he had done the Faith No More video. You remember the fish yeah. flapping around? Yeah, of course. That was a so, huge video. Yeah, so he came from the music wow. video world. And boom, just small world, you know, I, I started connecting dots. And all these things just came together. And then I directed the second episode of season two, which was a prime spot. And, you know, it, things, it, it worked. It, yeah. It, Next thing you know, I'm like a regular director on Dexter. Yeah. Um, Michael and the cast and the crew, and we become like family. Crazy. So uh, when Clyde left the show, he left after season five. There were eight seasons, but he left after season five. I also left. Part of it was loyalty to him. And part of it was, you know, I, I, I wasn't, I had other things I wanted to do. I'd done it. I'd done that thing. And the yeah. show to me was starting to change. And then, uh, you know, fast forward to just a, a two years ago, three years ago, when Michael calls me and he's like, I think I'm going to do a last season of Dexter, but I, I'm going to do it if you do it. Ooh, Will you that, do it with me? How great that must have felt. Now, dude, dude, it felt incredible because, you know, now you know the story and it's like, how does that feel when you go fight for something and you get to a point where now, now the lead actor, Michael, wants to wrap it up with Clyde. And the two of them are saying, we want to do it, but you got to be a part of it. Uh, and they made me an executive producer on the show. I was there from the beginning and uh, it was one of the best experiences of my life. But again, it all goes back to, you got to take big swings. You got to get out there. How? Yeah, look, it's really what you're saying, even which I know already is kind of what you do, but it's also motivating with me because, you know, that people don't understand that, you know, um, people don't like asking you know, but you know, some people don't understand. But when you're when you're passionate about something, 
you know, some of us stay where, you know what it is? It comes from some people think asking is like you're begging is a no. We're asking for an opportunity so we could show us our shit. So we could show you our swag. So we could show you what we got. I get it. Now, I would see it before. Like, I didn't want to ask for help when it's like, it's not so much help. I It's basically, I just need your eyes. I just need your attention. I don't need nothing else. Let me do the right. Because I'm the same way. I like to work. I like to earn mine. Because I like to, I'm a control freak too. So I like, but I also know when I'm ready to present something, I go in full blast. Because I know I already, um, a master, I killed it. A thousand times before the public hears it. You know, I got to make sure, you know how it is. Before yeah. you, you put anything out, you got to know it's the best you You're can do. You're doing it now, man. You're doing it like this podcast, right? You're doing it with, with all the other things you do on the side. You know, I follow you on social media. Right. I see the things you're out there doing, whether it's in um, merchandising or in the, with the band yeah. or you're on tour, you're meeting people. You're doing exactly the thing, whether yeah. you know it or not, right, that I've done my whole career. And I still do it today. You know, I just finished a show last year called Bad Monkey. It's going to come out on Apple next year. And it's with Vince Vaughn. Oh, and the writer, the writer is um, Bill Lawrence, who created Ted Lasso and Shrinking. It's funny. And I just started watching Ted Lasso yesterday. That's funny. Literally so, yesterday. So the, Bill Lawrence... Uh, He's known for comedy. He created a show called Scrubs back of course. in the course. That was the hugest show on the world, also. Right. I did so so that's him. I didn't know him. And and now I'm I, you know, I have a decent career. I do what I do. I, I still gotta hustle. When I finished Dexter, my my agents were like, What are you what are you looking for next? And I'm like, you know what? I wanna do something funny. I've been doing I did True Blood, I did Vampire Diaries, I did Dexter, I did uh, cold case, wh whatever the dark shows there are. Right. But I want to do something funny. Uh, and they were like, well, we, we have a script here for this show called bad monkey. It's going to be Vince Vaughn, but they already have a director. And I did, th and this is just two years ago, a yeah. year and a half ago. I did the same thing. I said, I don't care. Give it to me. Let me read it. And now get me a meeting and <laughs> let me go in there before you know it. I'm actually doing the pilot and I'm an executive producer on the show, but it's because I'm pursuing something that I really believe in. It's not for the sake of like, I, I want to do something big or I want, I'm doing it because I believe in it. Yeah. And it was a really hard show, but that's what, you know, sometimes you gotta, you gotta bleed to, to get to this. This is something that I want to ask you from what you're saying right now that I'm, I'm very curious because um, obviously I know I, I could tell from that you're really into the reading and the right. Was there, were you obviously you were always you must have been into reading books and stuff early I, if you weren't it's it, this is my question no re, I wasn't. Re, you wasn't what you now is insane to me because from reading a treatment for a video to like how do you go about reading a script for a show and being like you just said oh i read this i read a love story oh you know i see it i get it i always I could never understand that. I've, I've, I've done, you know, friends that directed movies, they gave me scripts and I've done little movies, you know what? And I'm like, how do you even know this is a story? I, 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 I read, okay, this character says this and this and that. Like, I don't, I just didn't get it. Like, uh, was it like just from getting scripts, you, you, you learn how to, to see it because they're written different. Oh, they're not written like, uh, look, we, we all have, you can do something I can't. 
you can identify a, a groove probably instantly. You walk into a studio and someone hands you a bass and you got a drummer yeah. and you just start riffing on something. And next thing you know, you're like, this is this is a yeah. fucking, let's go this way. Let's go that yeah. way. You're identifying something at its inception, right? And yeah. you're creating something. Or even if it's not you playing, if you walk in a room and you hear a band jamming and you're like, oh, fuck, that's, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. You, you're feeling it because it's what you know, right? I was never a big reader. Uh, today, if you hand me a script, a, a TV episode, and it's 50 pages or 60 pages, it's going to take me two hours to read it. Yeah. It's just how I am. Crazy. I, I read slowly, yeah. I, but I, because I love it, I pay attention. And I understand how to break a script down. So if I'm if I'm reading something and it's like there's a moment, you got to remember for me, because I didn't go to film school, all this stuff is self-taught. So I don't even know if it's the right way. Yeah, me neither. I just, playing, yeah, it's, I just it is know, the right way. Whatever you're know, doing is the right way. Yeah, but I just know that it's my way, right? Yes. But it might be different for everybody else. And I know that when I've been asked to like speak at like, uh, I've asked to lecture at, at film schools and talk to up and coming filmmakers. I'm really careful about the process because everybody should have their own process. Yeah. Everybody, yeah, you sh it should come from you. It should, yeah. you should feel it. So I was never a big reader, but um, you know, I read, I read now because I realized that everybody borrows from somebody. Yeah. So I, you know, you try to, familiarize yourself with the classics with the stories because every story we get today comes from a story that existed yeah it, it the, the found the fundamental foundations of that story right music same way you know whether yeah. it's shakespearean or a greek tragedy or you know so there's uh that's a learned thing i didn't learn it early on it i'm learning now every day i'm reading i'm literally reading a biography right now because i st i got into it and i'm like oh this is fascinating this guy's life is was incredible and i just kind of get hooked on those things so um i i don't i don't know i certainly didn't come to answer your question i didn't come from a place of i was not yeah. good at school which is saying not, to me because you know like you're saying i i always i never understood reading a script and how people saw the story and how you just said you got one of your main jobs because you read the script and you understood it the, the way they wanted it to be understood. Obviously, you... you yeah, but you I touched. didn't know that, Koya. I didn't yeah. know that that's what they wanted. Which is crazy. I just went in there and I talked about the thing that I felt yeah. when I read it, right? They just, again, part of that, it's not luck because it's, it's what's there. It's what's on the page. It was yeah. a love story. And I think a lot of filmmakers go in there going, oh there's a sequence here in the beginning where a vampire attacks a couple and they start talking about, you know how I'm going to make it scary. It's going to gotcha. be like this. It's going to be like that. I didn't say any of those things because when I read it, I wasn't thinking that way. And it's yeah. not a, it wasn't because I knew that they wanted to hear the love story. It's just what I happened to get out of it. Yeah. Which right? is insane. Cause I was, I was just about to ask you, you did, where you, did you go into it kind of knowing that maneuvering that way? And you didn't, you just, I, you you kind of knew obviously it's a vampire movie something's gonna the, the 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 whole spooky shit's gonna be there you know which is great because you got down to the nitty-gritty you know how that is writers they want to be deep 
You know, I know <laughs> it's, they want and they want to be acknowledged for how deep they are. Again, I'm guilty of it as a music right? When somebody's like, wow, what did you think of that riff? Where you, and I'm like, eh, you know, I kind of get a little bit happy, you know, I get it. You know, but I know we're writers also because, you know, they put in their feelings on, you know, Look, I, the, you have, I have gone into things with an intention, like with Dexter. Of course. Like I knew when I was sitting in that room, literally in the moment, I'm thinking, what what's going to come out of my mouth when yeah. they say, so what do you want to say? Yeah, yeah And yeah. then I, I just kept thinking, Crazy. what is everybody else saying? <laughs> I don't want to do that. Yeah. Right? That's all. It was just a matter of. Uh, sometimes you got to put yourself on the other side, yeah. right? And go, Great, they, all they're hearing from people is, oh, your show is amazing. I want to direct an episode. I can make it cool. Or, you know, it's yeah. this. And that. So I, I was like, I just wanted to be, I wanted to stand out. Yeah, that's great. Um, but I think those are, I learned that lesson and you use those tools moving forward whenever you have to go into a meeting and have conversations with people. Uh, you should know a little bit about them. You should know a little bit about what they do, why they do it, why do they love it. That's because um, you're a you're, you're a student, and it shows from your success. And I'm the same way. Like you're studying more than yeah, it's more than oh, I'm gonna put these cool shots into a story. That's more to there's layers to how it gets made and put out, and what goes into you know from exactly how you meet somebody to where you need to get it done, to how you get, you know, the production of it, to get it built, to get it put together, then to get it, you know, finalized and to get it aired. You know, people don't understand what, what goes into it. They're quick to give you a, you know, a, an opinion on what they see, but they don't understand what goes into it, you know? Yeah. It's you know what I've tried really hard to do in my life uh, that has worked for me? And that is, um, there's a lot of things I watch or I listen to or I read that I don't like, right? Yeah. It's very easy to then go talk to somebody when they're like, oh, did you see this show? And for you to go, ah, yeah, I fucking hated it. Yeah. I started to kind of condition myself to think, what if I made that show? And somebody's saying they fucking hate it. I didn't go in to make it bad. I went in there to make it as good as I can. And who knows what happened? Who knows, right? And if it's about talent, if it's about they didn't have the capacity to do it, they probably won't do it again. Mm -hmm. But I, when I started to really try to not criticize and to learn from things oh, yeah. and to study it, like you said, and to pay attention. Um, and the other thing I'll do is like if I watch something, you know, sometimes somebody will post. I don't know. It pops up on your stream. It's not even somebody you follow, but on social media, whatever platform you're looking at and you go, oh, that's cool you know the tendency is like you can like it and mean that's cool what i started doing is oh what else did they do and then if there's like two or three things that i think are cool i fucking dm them and i tell them and i'm like yo i just watched this and i watched that and i watched this thing and I, you that's really i i'm into it man yeah Be and the reason i do that isn't manipulative it's like because i put myself in their shoes i'm like can you imagine hearing from somebody absolutely and, and and then they're like, oh, my God, you did the Dexter thing and you think my thing is cool. I'm like, me doing Dexter has nothing to do with it. Yeah. But you genuinely have some talent because I'm sitting here looking at millions of things and yeah. you shit popping off. Yeah. And I, I think that that energy is important. It's very everything, like literally everything you say. I'm glad you're saying it because um, it, it's stuff that I've been working on myself the same way, like on what got to be done and just what you need to, 
you know, you just got to how you go for it and um, the work ethic and how, the you know, the being a student of the game never ends and how many layers to it. Like, like I get into trying to crack that because I see it because I hate people getting over on me. So I try to learn what I could do to be in control of this situation. What could I do to be in control of this situation? You know, so a lot of things yeah, you, you, you say learn is, from the things you don't like. Yeah. You, you know, you pay attention to the things you don't like and go, why don't I like it? What's I'm on this literally exact same boat with what you just said. I literally been working on the last two years of my life where I'm like, you know, I'm the first one to, to, to break down what I don't like about you. Now, shut up. Now, put yourself in that position. How would you feel, one? Now, look at it in that way as, okay, what were they thinking when they put that together? And then I, now I see things as, yeah, it's just not what I like. But damn, no, it's cool. It's well done. It's played good. Wow, they could do it live. Wow, they do it. You know, and then now I see it in a different, I, you know what it is? Unfortunately, being in a band jades you with a lot of stuff. You know, maybe the same thing if you were in front of the camera, it might fuck you up. You know what? Getting behind the because being in the band messed me up. It, it took me away from being a fan. It you know the competitive nature. Yeah, it's friendly competitive. Yeah, okay, whatever. But you have that. Since I got back and started doing the podcast and the shows, I I came. I could be a fan again. I could go and be like, yo, I like that. Yo, what's about? Yo, I like that. Yo, the show was fun. Yeah, I don't talk like that to anybody. But I became uh, doing that kept me you know, back in touch with being a fan. And then I started looking at myself and I realized, yeah, I was turning into a hater. The one thing I hated. And I said, I'll never be a hater. And doing that stepped my game up, you know, saying, why, instead of saying, yo, why they do that? Blah, 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 blah. No, I'm more like, wow, they're doing good. Wow. If they could reach that, that means that roof got pushed up. Like I look at Vinny stigma, how far you could take me, you know, even hardcore music. If you want to take it that far. People say, how far? Look at Stigma. He's writing the book on it. If yeah. you want to do that in that way, you could. It's just a point of grind, do what you do. When you do it because you love it, it's going to show. You know what I mean? You got that queen state of mind. It shows in the grind. I got one question before anything. This is this is what I really wanted to know because this, I, I, this question goes into the same thing with music. And it goes into what you were doing, filming, even if, it went, if you got into editing and maybe the directing thing. It went from doing film to everything being digital. Like, did that affect you in any way? Or were you, uh, or was your part of the job not having to deal with that part of the editing? Or like, you know what I mean? Like, if you're hands-on with editing, people could complain about, like, I like doing tape or whatever. Then you could be the guy telling the person to edit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, where, no, where, like, where are you in that whole? Yeah, I embraced it very early. Okay, uh, I think I was uh, um, even Vampire Diaries, which was shot digitally. Um, I I didn't look at a lot of old school filmmakers. Kind of looked at, at cinema and said, you know, it has to be on film. That's it's why I say quality, this. It's texture. I I'm like, look, I'm a director. I would like I would direct a stage play. I will direct a commercial, a music video. The The medium for me is a tool. So uh, if I can make a movie on my iPhone, I'm going to make a movie on my iPhone. And I can. So I'm believe me, I'm always out there playing yeah. with it, you know, trying to figure stuff out. Uh, no, going digital uh, was a tool that I think has inspired me. 
the technology that's out there today, the edit tools. And remember, I'm not an editor. I know how to edit. Yeah. But I'm a director and I'm, I love telling stories. I'm a, uh, filmmaking is in my blood. Uh, I knew it from when I was 13 years old. It was just kind of this thing that pulled me, kept pulling me in. So the, the medium is, was irrelevant to me. Yeah. There are some filmmakers I really admire who are purists and yeah. still think film is the way. That's great. Like, that's their thing, right? Like, that's yeah. how they think. It's never been, um, it's never been uh, a thing for me. It's always been an opportunity to make it easier, yeah, uh, quicker, uh, whatever the, the situation might be. So um, I, I embraced it yeah. early. That's great because that's one of the main questions I have because the same thing happens with music. And I know a lot of guys that film because, of, you know, the music and a lot of people are filmmakers in our world, too. And some of the new guys try to embrace the old school because they want to, you know, they want to be know those old school trades, which is cool. I'm glad I came up recording on tape, but I never want to do that style of recording ever again. Right. Were, that was torture, like straight up torture, like spending eight hours to get one perfect take. Like, I will say, I will say the thing that I've told kids coming up who asked me, you know, they're not just asking how I got started. They asked me about process and they asked me, and I'm like, look, I feel lucky that I came up before there was digital yeah. because like you doing, we're recording a song and, and spending money on having to do it over and over and having to punch in the edit at the right time. Yeah. And all those things that you had to do on tape when I was coming up and I had to shoot on film, I had to, I had to know exactly what I wanted. I had to know what I wanted it to look like. And I had Crazy. to know it, what I, if I was giving you direction, uh, we rehearsed it because why? Cause I couldn't just keep doing it over and over and over yeah. and over and over again. <laughs> and I think the, the thing that, and again, this is purely my opinion. I think um, young filmmakers would learn a lot by challenging themselves to do one project on film so they could see how important it is to really be prepared, to really know what you want. Because right now, you and I can go, I can call you up, we can go meet somewhere, and we could shoot something in a parking lot, and I could I could spend five hours with you and shoot 100 versions on my phone, yeah. and then come back and edit together something cool, right? Yeah. But if we were shooting on a Bolex with film, oh yeah, we would have to talk about it. We'd have oh, to yeah. know exactly what we're going to do. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, and we'd have to rehearse it and go, no, oh, that would be cool, but what if we did it this way instead? Right now, we could just, let's do it that way instead. Let's try yep. it this way. And then you cut it together. I do think there's something magical that we learned Agreed. coming up about the hard way to do it. And I don't mean to sound like that guy who's like, I used to walk 100 miles. Yeah, yeah. No, it's more just, it's, it's all we knew, right? Yeah. And you, you went in to record and you had to be tight. And if somebody fucked up, you give them the fucking look. Like, yeah. It made, it made your natural instincts be sharp, where nowadays it's still important, but you don't have to be as sharp. But you could still get a stale, you know, uh, 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 um, um, product because, you, you know, people will yeah, feel it, it. No soul. But definitely, you know, you I know what you mean. Like, even when you prepared, that's where you would put your soul in it because you're going to prepare it a certain way, a certain way you have it in your in your mind. Well, you prepare and then you come in and do it with soul, right? Yes, like, exactly. Like you know exactly what you want to do. You know what it wanted to feel like. You know, and then you and then you let then you're free. 
Yeah. Then you're free to kind of do it. Yeah. Uh, there, but there is something I, I find something and you said stale, um, cold, yeah. un, you know, like soulless, soulless in, yeah. in some of the stuff that is done today, because you just know that it was put together artificially. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, and, and that and when I and again, that is not a critique of the product. It's a critique of the process. Yes. Right. I, I totally know everybody what you mean. goes into it. Everyone goes into it wanting to do something good. The only truly the only people I, I, I tend to criticize or feel like and when I say criticize, like I'm going to be vocal yeah. is when I see um, there's two types of uh, there's the uh, the uh, people who have entitlement, like who just feel like they should be huge yeah. and they haven't done any work. I, I challenge them to do some work because that's not how life should be. And unfortunately we live in a world of social media where that happens. Yeah. So a lot of young people come into it thinking, you know, I don't have to try that hard. And, and the other thing is when they do it just because they see an up, they think they can be rich. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I, I know I sound like a fight, like one of these guys, but it's a true, it's a truth true. in my world. It's a truth. Uh, I, I've had success in my life. I don't consider myself super wealthy. I'm not that guy. I, you know, take care of my family. I, I'm lucky enough to make money that way, doing what I love, but I've never gone and done something because I wanted to be rich. Yeah. But that's why and, you've also been, you've seen, you've had longevity. And you know, in the, in, in, it's this show business. You could disappear easily. Oh, for sure. I, dude, I'm, I've, I'm done with my show now. If, if I pull, if I turn this around on my desk, all you see is like, I'm try, I'm hustling. What am I going to do next? Yeah, and that's just what I was going to ask you. What was the last thing you just finished up with? And what, what, what's the next move for you? So I, I just finished two shows, uh, one for Apple called Bad Monkey. Uh, that'll me. be out next year. And then a show for HBO Max called The Girls on the Bus. Uh, that's uh, 10 episodes, and that'll be out next year as well. So I have two shows coming out. And um, I did I did the first season of this show called You on Netflix. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm going to do the final season in January. So that would be that's going to be the next show I do. But I'm developing a bunch of shows, original ideas with um, different writers. And uh, it's kind of it's always terrifying when you're freelance, because um, I think there's an assumption, even with my peers, when I talk to them, they're like, oh, you work all the time. I'm like, I work because I fucking get out there. Yeah, you have to to work. So uh, I ha- I'm doing you. I, I feel blessed that I have that coming up because we're in a strike right now. I don't know if yeah. you know, but there's yeah, and I heard. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. And was- then, um, and so when the strike is over and we move on, I'll do that. And then I don't know what I'm doing after that. One of these projects that I'm developing, um, I still th- I think somewhere in my future there is something that is more rooted in the hardcore scene in the. Um, queens in there's something i don't know what that story is though you know yeah. i've tried a long many times i've tried i know what you mean it, it has to it has to be the right thing i i i'm glad i was able to get you on because one again it's a your 
definitely, you know, like I said, that moment being in the studio for me, it's a key moment for me for what I do. This is, you know, connected to this being around what I love being around is electronics and music and, and all that shit. And not only that, uh, again, I do take pride in flexing uh, with your name, you being one from Queens, not only from Queens, but being a hardcore guy from Queens and from New York and not like, oh, yeah, this guy likes me. No, you were a hardcore kid and the stuff that you've done is like, again, I take pride in bragging for you. You you may have oh, not known, but I, I, I was like, you know who that is? I go, that's Queens, you know, Ezek, always mad love. You know, the minute we talk about you, you know, we're right away. We, you know, we flex for you all the time. And not only that, we, you know, your whole, like even seeing it, I said, let me wiki this, let me look at it. I, I was bugging out just looking at it on paper, you know, it's. Well, it's he, funny you mentioned Isaac because, you know, you and all, everybody in that scene, like, to, like I said, today, if, if I hit play on my Spotify, he <laughs> may pop up. You, you know, you will pop up. Yeah. You know, it's still a part of who I am. I just bought the quicksand book. A book came out. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and I, and I literally, I call, I, texted Walter pictures of it. I'm like, look what I just got. Because oh, yeah. I get excited about that. That's never going to change. And that's, no, no. A, and that's what I love. To what you guys do, you know, your music has that kind of longevity. You know, and the same thing, what what you do and where you're at. Again, I this 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 one I really wanted. This, this with you especially, because again, the, the flex is important because, um, there's no, there's no, you know, uh, people like to, to, to tend to, we come from a very small scene, but that small scene is seen in different universes. Like it's people are in the world. Exactly. exactly. And I want, I like showing people like, look from like, you know, I just saw Turnstile yesterday with Blink, you know, Turnstile playing in arena. I, I, I root for turn. You know, I got, I remember playing with them, you know, all I root for that. When I see all my everybody talking about a Dexter or this show, I go, yeah, well, you know who did that? Oh, my man did that. I used to go to the studio, you know, just that to be like, you know, I take pride in that. And I know a lot of our people take pride in that. And I had to let people know. I, I kept telling you, everybody out there, I was texting you saying, we got to let people know Queens is in the building, you know? And I know Ezek's going to love this because, again, Ezek's a fan of a lot of your stuff. And, you know, the same thing. We we all hung out besides this. And then later on in life, we saw, you know, we were fans of what we did. You know, I always know you did videos and stuff. But then later on, I was like, wow, again, I'm glad you were able to jump on here in the future. I want to do something again with you because I think everything you said, man, really hit with me a lot because I'm almost I'm exactly in the same page where on stuff I'm working at and just a mentality on worth work ethic and how to go about things and i think it, what you got to, what you said right here even on this episode a lot can help a lot of people a lot of people that are trying to come up even do what you're doing that they need to hear it this way because sometimes people have a different idea on you need this to be successful you need this to be successful you need this this and this when you know at the end of the day you need to have love passion for what it is and you need to have that that goal that go hard or go home mentality is everything you just said. Again, from Queens to Dexter to who knows where else. Dude, everything I just said, if you break it down, is in hardcore lyrics in the, in the late 80s. Exactly. And that's what I, if even from how you just said, you getting Dexter. Yeah, no, call him. I want to get it. Let me in front of him. 
That's some hardcore shit. I used to walk up and down the line at CBGB's. Demise demo. Five songs, five dollars. The hardest shit out. That was my line. But you yeah. know what? You had to sell yourself. I said, who better than selling yourself? I took pride. I thought it was hard. So I, you people were like, word. This guy seems confident. You know, that's you got- what I mean. But I remember that. That's what that's what I say. It's in my DNA is it was put there because the people around me had the same way of thinking. Yeah, we had it was a scene of do it yourself, get it done. And and I, I don't we came from a small scene. But yeah. when I look at when you go on tour, come on, man, if you go to anywhere in Europe. And you're playing these shows to hundreds or thousands of kids. That must be so incredible to know that you came from, you know, Corona, Jackson Heights, playing at Bell Studios. Yeah. And and you're up there doing and you didn't sell out. You're doing the same thing. Yeah. Right. That's that to me is a testament to all you guys, to Walter, to Siv, to uh, look at Toby, man. You yeah, know, how you definitely. Uh, I, and I follow every single one of you because I'm I'm the same way. I'm always flexing about that. That's where I grew up. Oh, you know when when you know uh, whether it's uh, there was a show at recently in Brooklyn, Gorilla Biscuits, and yeah. uh, you know people I see who are like, oh, I'm gonna go see Gorilla Biscuits. And I'm like, oh, I know those guys. Yeah, you know, like I get, I take tremendous amount yeah. of pride in that, even though I haven't hung out with them or seen them in in a minute. Of course, you know. But yeah, man, look, and I appreciate you having me on. I really do. When I heard you had uh, a podcast, I started putting it in my rotation. Um, Now I'm glad. And and, and again, I really wanted this one. And it was like, for me, I had, you know, again, it it took me back. And again, it's a, it's a great, it's, I think it's a, it's great for people to hear. And and it's, um, it's good to show um, an old school guy uh, with uh, uh with, with new school love who's still in the mix not just sitting back talking shit um about the, the yesteryears and you know i'm in the same boat with you we're still in the mix we're still throwing punches we're still being creative and again i want to get you on in the future so we could do some shit to get some like younger guys that are because i know a lot of guys that are trying to do a, a self-financing film and a couple of things we could probably get on and maybe, you know, we could. Man, I'm happy to. Pick your brain. I, for sure. I, I love this. I love talking about the my art and, and certainly my roots. So yeah, anytime. For sure. You absolutely. Have a- absolutely. Listen, I'm glad you were able to jump on. Uh, Marcos, everybody, go follow him. You already watch his shows. I don't got to tell you, but go watch him. Wikipedia him and take. you're going to be there for a while. So go Wiki Marcos. Listen, Bad Trip, Bell Studios, New York Hardcore. Um, listen, mad love to you. You know what's up. Shout out to your family. Shout out to Brazil. Shout out to Bell Studios again. I'll let you know when this drop, Marcos. Listen, we'll talk. One love. Thanks for jumping on. We out of here. All right. Thanks, man. Peace out. <laughs>